0: Hello and welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler, and this is episode number sixty-two for July twenty seventeen. Thank you, as always, for downloading and subscribing to our monthly technology podcast. I hope you're going to stay with us for just under 70 minutes this month, because after some quick announcements, we'll be hearing the incredible story of Jens Norman and artificial vision. It is well worth listening to. Darrow Haley is along to give us a demonstration of Windows Narrator on Windows 10, also something well worth listening to and something that I've been playing with over the last few days. And finally, Alex Tavares is here to talk about a new Braille product That he's designing called the Read Read. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Well, once again you are very welcome in it's great to have your company uh, for our July edition of our technology podcast and thank you to everyone who got in touch last month there was some really nice uh, tweets on social media and a couple of emails I received and people just saying very nice things on our fifth birthday and uh, yeah it's hard to believe five years old uh, our podcast are just over five years old now uh, so thank you to everybody for getting in touch and to people who regularly contact us and say they enjoy the podcast and some very nice comments coming in as well about the podcast from our virtual technology club which brings me nicely on to the virtual technology club we've been having sessions monthly uh, since april and our next scheduled session is at 7 p.m irish time on thursday the 20th of july On that session, we're going to be joined by the legendary Brian Harchton of Harchton Consultancy. He's been on this podcast before. He does some amazing things. I don't know how he does them. Uh, Creating some amazing products that work with uh, JAWS Screen Reader and Magic Screen Magnification. He's going to be talking about Lisey. Uh, this this amazing product that lets you, whether you're a computer beginner or an advanced user, there's something in it for everyone. So uh, 20th of July, it's a Thursday, 7 p.m. here in Ireland. Uh, Brian Hartston will be joining us live on our virtual computer club session. If you need to know more about the virtual computer club, a virtual technology club even, then it's www.ncbi.ie forward slash technology. All our technology news is at that link um, So it's a useful uh, uh, part of the NCBI website to bookmark www.ncbi.ie forward slash technology. Now, Sharon Lines isn't with us this month. You will have noticed that uh, when I was telling you what's coming up a moment ago. Sharon's not with us. She's taking a a well-deserved break and that's in part because she's planning a series of workshops that uh, she's going to be running in conjunction with ourselves at NCBI. We're delighted to be facilitating these workshops which are called Without the Mouse. Um, And it's kind of the idea really is that if there's something you want to learn to do without the mouse and using these huge amount of keyboard shortcuts that Sharon has given us since she started her slot on this podcast and all the other things that she does in her training, then that's a good opportunity to do that. There is a charge for these workshops. Sharon has all the details because there's some deals if you book more than one workshop. So if you're interested in the Without the Mouse workshops, the first set of two workshops is happening on the 15th of July. It's a Saturday and they'll be in the Rehabilitation Training Centre at our head office on Whitworth Road. Info at sharon's-shortcuts.ie is the email address to contact if you want to find out more about the Without the Mouse workshops and i um, very happy to be, su- to be supporting that initiative as well. Finally, for now, uh, August 9th, we mentioned this last month, but uh, Freedom Scientific, part of the VFO group, Eric Damery and our very good friends at Sight and Sound Technology, they're all coming to Dublin on Wednesday, August the 9th. There are some amazing offers um, that we've put up on the NCBI website, ncbi.ie forward slash technology. It's all up there. Uh, VFO coming to Dublin. Amazing prices on JAWS, whether you're buying an upgrade, an SMA or a brand new version. Uh, Same with ZoomText, with Fusion, with uh, some of the Freedom Scientific magnifiers, including the Ruby and the all new L Braille. This is an amazing device, absolutely amazing device running Windows 10 along with a Focus Braille display and JAWS. It is truly outstanding. I've been using this for the last couple of weeks and I'm finding that more and more of my computer use as I walk from place to place and as I go from place to place is being done with this combination of technology and I pretty much have access to everything, regardless of where I'm sitting. haven't edited audio on it yet, by the way. I know others have done that, but I have not explored that on the L Braille. So um, if you want to come and see all that's new and get your hands on some of those great offers, please make sure to register. There is a link on our website where you can find the Eventbrite page so you can get your ticket and secure your place at our event on the 9th of August with Eric Damery and all those great offers from the VFO group. Now, as always, if you have comments, suggestions or questions about our technology podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Drop us an email at any time to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie. Imagine growing up with full sight, losing your vision, um, having it partially restored and losing it again. It's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? And it's quite an amazing story. When I came across Jens Norman, who's had that very experience, and he is, as we speak, testing out all sorts of new, uh, experimental, I suppose, artificial vision with something called seeing with sound to tell his incredible story and bring us on that roller coaster journey. Uh, Jens, delighted to have you on our technology podcast, and you're on the phone from Namibia. Is that correct?
1: That's correct, Stuart, and glad to be here, and glad to have my voice heard in Ireland. I am here just uh, north of um, South Africa, and I'm... (laughs) running a school project here. I started it from scratch with my wife, and we're in the third year now, so it's been, uh, it's been a very busy time.
0: Well, great to have you. We had some interesting uh, Skype issues. Uh, we, we had to try to record this very early in the morning, and then Skype didn't work, and we, we got Jens on the phone, so all is good. Uh, and so just maybe if you, if you don't mind bringing us right back, because you grew up as a, as a fully sighted kid. You, you, weren't, uh, you didn't know anything about having sight loss when you were, when you were younger, right?
1: That's right, Stuart. I Actually, uh, my first introduction to blindness was when I was in grade seven, and uh, an elderly man who lost his sight was um, introduced to us as a school assembly in public school. And uh, I was thinking, wow this doesn't look like a very good life. I mean, he was talking about how he could um, count his money by folding it a certain way and how he would play checkers marked a certain color a certain way for the black and the white, etc. And I thought, wow, if, if that's all my life will bring that, that really is pretty sad. Let's hope that never, ever happens to me. And then, uh, well, I <laughs> grew up just like a normal you know teenager everything was going great i actually had my own job i had finished school by the age of 17 i had my driver's license i had uh all sorts of all sorts of excitement out there and by age 18 i lost one of my eyes working at the railway which um really it, it didn't slow me down but it made me think wow I, I really need to be careful just one piece of metal flew in my eye, picking eyes and then um, at age 20, I was married, had a small child, and a really good job as a land surveyor when I was working on a snow machine, and a second piece of metal flew off of it into my other eye, and and then I was totally in blindness.
0: That's that's amazing, isn't it, that the very same thing would happen twice in such a, in such a, a short space of time. Now you're married, you mentioned you have a child, you're trying to set up your life, and suddenly there's this kind of darkness that must have been huge
1: it was absolutely huge it was like it was the end of life I mean I maybe if I if I hadn't been married I, I, I might have even even considered suicide at that time it was just such a major major loss everything even even like my 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 future it was just like it was useless i mean uh, you know we often complain "Ah, my car stolen or something happened to it but in the meantime everything's fine out there i just can't use it anymore i know it's there i can feel it it's there everything's there my life but i can't touch it anymore i know the mountains are there i can't see them anymore downhill skiing was one of my passions target shooting with guns and those things i mean they're all gone astronomy you name it so It was like losing one's world, but still being there to to experience the loss. And that was the worst part of it, really. It it wasn't even like everything was gone and you were done. You were right there because other people who could see were telling you about it, but and you knew it was there because I could see once, and now everything was just black. It was devastating, and I, I couldn't see any way out.
0: Okay, so you're here at age 20, you've lost your sight, you're totally blind, you're in this world of darkness. And I suppose this has happened to many people. And you you mentioned the grieving and that that whole process that you're going through. But I suppose something drove you to, you obviously started to explore, you, you were thinking there must be something out there, or there must be people who are trying to work with people like myself. What kind of how did you start on that journey to to find this this new chapter
1: well my first stop was the canadian national institute for the blind they actually came to my bedside when i was still in the hospital recovering from the the second eye being damaged so badly and uh i really did not see anything interesting in that kind of a life i was offered a you know mobility with a white cane and uh at that time the the computers were making their debut. I actually had my own computer. It was one of those Apple IIs, and I also had a Zinclair ZX81, but they, of course, didn't have any sound fitted to them. But IBM, shortly after that, was starting with the uh, screen reader pr- concept for the DOS-based system, mm-hmm. which I found exciting. But, you know, I really wanted to get into the excitement I had before. The attitude, though, is, despite not, not having the right attitude, it was necessary for me to continue because my my child was small my wife didn't have work or skills at the time and i i had to be the breadwinner i had a certain amount of money saved up for what i wanted to do in our future and now it was to sustain ourselves until i i found a way so my first uh, my first stop really was i had uh, or my break was i had a a neighbor come over he was a retired school teacher and he said he tunes and repairs pianos for a living. He said, Jens, you should learn this because uh, I know a lot of blind people who do this and make good money, and I thought, wow. I remember looking into a piano when I could see, uh, because I took piano lessons as a child, and the tuner would come, take the front off, and it would look like just junk, like thousands of bits of moving wood there, I thought, wow, if you can do this blind, (laughs) that's something else. So I did practice. I had my own piano, and I was uh, working away at it, and uh, next thing you know, I had a business going within a year, and that brought new hope and uh i mean i was looking for something very exciting but you know my biggest passion steward was to see again mm. and it was just like every time i turned on the radio there was here and there a little hint of they are working on something researchers are working on something to connect to the brain and i thought i gotta be one of those patients as soon as it comes out and uh that's when you know my whole focus started to shift towards working on being able to see again in the future
0: so you're you're kind of you're at this point now where you've accepted to a degree what's been happening you're living your life obviously as you said you had to earn money you're tuning pianos you're you're you're, you're relatively okay but in the back of your head all the time there's this thing of you know something there must be something out there i want to be one of these people and then you discovered the de is that correct is that the name of the institute
1: yes yes it's the dobell institute that i discovered on uh really by on the internet by the time i had a screen reader that would go also uh surfing the internet i found this site called artificialvision.com with the help of a friend who who came across it and urged me to read it and this was in 1999 2000 no i believe it was 2000 yes and um it, it looked like it was highly experimental, but the doctor, it was a New York doctor who was on his own purse working on the uh, concept of Dr. Giles Brindley from UK back in 1968 to 71. Brindley had some patients that were under surgery with, with their skull Piece kind of removed and their visual cortex exposed for different surgery for uh, finding lesions for epilepsy. But in the meantime, while he was poking and prodding, the patients were reporting that they could see dots of light. So he expanded on that and built a crude method by which they could see some electrically stimulated light. And now Dobell was using the computers and the Pentium had just made its debut then the 166 MHZ processor. And so he was taking full advantage of this to see if he could couple the two together. He had a series of uh, volunteers for biocompatibility tests for a single electrode implant, which ended up working out favorably. So now he wanted to expand it actually into a clinical operation by which we could have site restoration. And I ended up being the first patient in.
0: Wow! And was that, I suppose, my, my, my first thought, as you tell us, all this, was it scary because you said he was kind of doing it on his own he was a bit of a a lone ranger there was i guess there was no comeback if something went terribly wrong did you understand that the risk
1: Yes, the risk was enormous. First of all, FDA said, uh-uh, you're not doing that in this country. So we had to go, uh, instead of the United States, we, we went to Portugal, Lisbon. They hadn't yet, through the EU, passed this legislation. You can't do human experimentation over there either, unless you went through a, m- a number of due processes, which he hadn't done yet. So, um, we went there and it was almost like a clandestine underground operation where we had these electrodes put in our heads. Um, luckily I had a neurosurgeon that had worked on the volunteers that time in Canada, Dr. Um, Dr. John Gervin, and he was a Canadian neurologist and he decided to do me first and train the other um, Portuguese doctors how this is done. So I was the first guy up I had a Canadian doctor and uh, I was still taking the risk though even after it was implanted when I'd come back, the testing, that part of it was risky because we didn't know what it was going to do. The FDA at that time has, has set a limit of one volt and one milliampere anywhere to the brain for stimulation because stimulation was used for other purposes at the time already. And we were using upwards of 16 volts at times and uh, 10, 12, 15 milliampere. So you can see we we, we were tenfold out of the limit. What was going to happen? I didn't know.
0: So you went to Portugal. You underwent this surgery. And I'm just trying to get a sense of you're, you know, you, you fly to Portugal with these guys, with this team, I suppose. And then you're brought in and I presume you go to sleep. I'm, I'm assuming you didn't wake up with vision, but, but when you woke up, was it, was it different or, or, or did this take time?
1: Well, you see, that it, it goes in two stages. Um, first of all, you get the implants, which constitutes electrodes that sit on your brain and they're um, encased in a, in a substrate. So it's kind of like mounted on flexible plastic, a bunch of wires coming off. And these electrodes then terminate at the top of your head with wires that look like two jacks. So now you have two jacks. They were actually ITNT seventy-two pin connectors encased in in um, flanges made of titanium. And so I just had two jacks on top of my head, one on the left side above the ear, one on the right side above the ear, and that's it. So when I woke up, I was in great, great, great pain, a headache that I don't think I can use enough English words to describe but I wasn't able to see anything because first you had to hook the equipment to it, set it up, etc., etc. It was a long process. So for the first six weeks, I just had to heal. So after a couple of weeks, I went home and I rested there. I was able to get a little bit back to work. I was uh, running a firewood business at the time, cutting and splitting wood. So it was labor intensive. And uh, I, I really had to be careful because shaking my head hurt a lot, but no vision. So the vision didn't change. And then when May 16th came along, uh, I was operated on April 8th, 2002. May 16th, I go to uh, New York, which is about an eight-hour car drive away from where I was living. And that's where Dr. Dobel hooked me up for the first time. And the first process of this was to put the, really see which electrodes worked and how many volts they needed. So that's what's called thresholding, and 96 of my 140 implanted electrodes worked, and once we had all the voltages done, then we had to worry about where I could see them in my visual field. So if I could see a dot, for instance, on my left corner of my visual field that's, say, 20 centimeters from center of vision at arm's length, I have to convey that to the engineers, and they then find the right pixel block, like a group of little pixels of the video camera that uh, would then take the visual images into the computer in order to represent the same thing. So whenever the camera would see something at that particular corner that I identified with this particular dot of light called a phosphine, then that phosphine would light. So that was a huge process and if I got anything wrong there it would just be gobbledygook I'd see. So everything had to be mapped perfectly, we had to redo it and redo it, it took about two weeks before we could turn the instrument on and see whether or not this was going to work for me.
0: So I suppose the, the, the key part of that was you being able to very clearly communicate to the to the engineers and the engineers tweaking the technology as you could see or not see whatever they were asking you to look at.
1: Exactly, Stuart. And we had eight people simultaneously implanted during the, the that first implantation that I was doing. So seven of us, were there watching and the eighth of us was uh, the, the other one was being tested and there was a degree of miscommunication with with each one of the people some people were not analytically um let's say analytically built like they weren't it was just not them to say Ah, I could see it exactly this far away because you can't judge the distance. You can't move your center of vision back and forth and see how far it is. The way a sighted person can, for instance, judge the, side of a, the size of a, of a building or something by looking back and forth and saying, ah, I think it's about 50 meters wide. You can't do that here. If you try to move your eye, everything moves with it. So if you're a sighted individual, you look at a bright light out of the corner of your eye, then close your eye tight, and you'll see that bright light sort of burning in your retina a bit. Try moving your eye, it'll move along with, your your bright light will move with it. So that's the effect I got. And so you really had to be able to interpolate that. And some people, they would just say, no, I just see it in front of my nose. Oh, I see that one in front of my nose. I see that one in front of my nose. And we know darn well it's going to be in different places. But they couldn't tell us where. So they were very difficult to um, map. But we had a mapping program that would do relative mapping. So if phosphine 1 was lit up, then phosphine 2 was lit up, and the patient would say, oh, it's actually moving to the left when phosphine 2 lights up. Then we know, okay, phosphine 1 is over more to the left than phosphine 2 that's kind of uh the program we had to use for those people
0: okay so uh, june july 2002 whatever it is you're sort of presumably after all this you go back home and just i'm thinking day-to-day practical stuff i mean did you have to uh i have sort of visions of you having to charge yourself up overnight or plug in all this technology could you go out for a walk and and use your artificial vision or was there a lot of uh kit you had to carry with you to make that happen
1: It, uh, it it consists just to describe it. Um, I have two jacks on the top of my head, and then these cables that are about the size of your little finger. From each one, come down. They're about two meters long. They're excessively long, so if you drop the equipment, it won't rip the stuff back out of your head. Um, and the two boxes around my waist were about three kilograms. Each. And these boxes were maybe 15 by 15 by 15 centimeters. So they were a fair handful. Um, and uh, they then had a battery pack that was also around your belt. So this was all in a big belt with shoulder straps and everything that you wore. And then from there, there was a cable going up to your eyes, which were a, um, a pair of sunglasses with a video camera fitted into it. So this it was quite a contraption, but the the scariest part about the contraption really was the fact that it just happened after the two thousand and one bombings of the twin towers. Yeah, so there was a high uh, alert for terrorism. Yeah, it, was yeah. a, it was a very difficult time.
0: So you you when we when we spoke uh, off air last week uh, before we we kind of mm. did this interview, you were telling me about driving. With this, with this kit, you, you drove a car, and, and I, I suppose, as someone who's been blind all my life, and people still say to me, "What would you like to do if you could get your sight back? If you would have your sight restored?" Um, driving is the one thing. What was driving like?
1: Well, I, uh, if I compare it to biological driving, it it was it was just not as uh, it, it was not something that first of all I could do legally. Um, what happened was just after the system started to work good, and I was still in in um, in New York. Dr. Dobell passed me the keys to a rental car that uh, he expected me to drive around behind, like in the parking lot behind the Dobell complex. It looked like a a big feat because there were some obstructions there and I could barely like make them out because this system was just either on or off. There was no gray area in this. So if you saw something not very bright, it wouldn't just make a half-bright phosphine. It was either on or off. So it had to use edge detection and only about 19 of the, up to 19 of the phosphines were used for a frame. So it was very bad vision, if you want to say, for driving. And I certainly didn't, enjoy driving the way I would driving a car when I could see. So it, it was it was strained. I did it for demonstration purposes. But if I wanted to drive around on my farm, I would just, uh, you know, use a guide wire or something and uh, do it the way I did when I was unable to see at all. Because it was just not safe enough to, to, to say, yes, for sure, there's nobody in front of me, etc. I mean as much fun as driving is you don't want to run over somebody
0: sure sure so in your day-to-day life when you came back home after this um, implant and and when all the equipment had been set up and all the kind of uh, focusing etc had been fine-tuned did you use this every day or was there times you'd just leave it off because it was easier not to carry everything around with you Or, or did you find that you were relying on it a little more all the time
1: Yes, I was using it actually every day, Stuart, I brought it home in December of 2002 and every day I would put it on first thing in the morning and uh, it used four different sets of batteries. I have one battery always charging, it would last up to four hours. And so I would keep switching the batteries, taking extra batteries with me, going places, because it was so nice to be able to now connect with the sighted world. I mean, my I had eight children and uh, my eighth was just five years old. And so I was able to see some of my children grow up, which was nice. So I was using it every day right around February, March. And then things started to kind of go wrong with the experiment. And then I had to start leaving it behind because um, some of the dots I weren't able to see. I then have to go back to the States to try to get it readjusted. There was a biocompatibility issue. We knew we would have to do another implant in the future in order to fix that biocompatibility problem. We kind of located it. So, but, you know, meanwhile I was waiting. I was trying to use it as much as I could, for sure. I I like the sighted world. I didn't use it at night when I slept, but... Because I was getting the light in, it was back to the old days when I could see in the day and then close my eyes at night and see nothing. I slept better, etc. I was more awake during the day. I really did enjoy wearing it.
0: Sure. And then in 2004, it, it, it just came to an end, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was it was very unfortunate. In 2003, there was a university from Ohio that offered to buy the project from Dr. Dobell. And we were really hopeful because we could see Dr. Dobell was getting very sick. In fact, he had a diabetic ulcer that delayed the implantation in 2002. It was supposed to happen in 2000, but he actually lost a leg as a result of this unhealable um, dia- diabetic ulcer. And now it was coming back his whole his whole health had just gone down the drain he had shingles etc he was hardly in the office anymore and when he was he was under severe medication and it was interrupting his his judgment etc it was a really sad time and we could see as patients that this project wasn't going to continue if we don't do something fast so when he died october 5th 2004 it was in limbo There were uh, a number of agencies that were kind of interested, but because it didn't yet have the FDA approval, they kind of stayed away with it. Because I, I kind of understand from my take of it, what happened was because patients were implanted, patients didn't go through the due process, they would then have the right to be able to, for instance, file lawsuits, which is something that's done very often in the States. And anybody who picked it up just might end up being the target of these lawsuits. So people were staying away from it. And uh, the project just kind of fizzled out.
0: So you went for, I suppose, a second time in your life, although this time you were maybe a little more prepared for it, but you went through this grieving process again?
1: Yes, for sure. And yes, I was prepared for it because I could see it coming. It didn't just happen... Overnight, But uh, it, it, was, it was sad because I actually didn't allow myself to go through a big, deep, deep um, process because I was confident this was going to get back up and get rolling by the next research company. The biggest disappointment was this happened 15 years ago and to date this hasn't yet been recreated. Mm-hmm.
0: Were, you, were you angry? Were you sort of saying, why me a second time? Did you have thoughts of, why did I sign up for this? This is, you know, were you angry with the De Bell Institute? Did, did you just feel let down by all these researchers or scientists who've suddenly walked away from you? Or did you kind of say, well, you know something, it was great while it lasted. Let's move on.
1: That's exactly it. It was great while it lasted. If I didn't have that chance, I wouldn't have seen even the bit I did with uh, interacting with my kids. I was living in the town of Napanee for years and years since 1985 and for the first time I was actually able to see the town and those memories are still there. And also what I did was I wrote a book, um, Search for Paradise. And in this book I recounted the entire, the entire story from beginning to end and including technical details all the letters from the Dobell Institute as it progressed and then as it started to fall apart etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, it it allowed for instance neurologists right now are able to read this book it's online and they're reading this book and they're I, I believe they're drawing a lot of information from it in order to be able to continue the project, so it hasn't died like that. If I hadn't participated, I'm not sure if I'd even know now why it stopped, because there would just simply be no, in, no uh, information. Dr. Dobell wrote a journal in 2000. Um, about artificial vision work on his volunteers and how he was going to start this process now but he never wrote any journal after that. No papers, nothing that doctors normally do when they do research because his death was so untimely he thought he would be able to put something down about the 16 patients that were implanted along with me but he didn't. So luckily I was there. I was able to work with a team because I was hired by the Dobell team as well to be working in their research department and I was able to write this book.
0: So a great resource is available to future researchers, scientists, uh, medical professions who who will I have no doubt this this will happen in the future. And you've been involved in that groundbreaking uh, research back in the early two thousands. I'm, I'm going to bring you right forward now, Jens, right right up to today, mm-hmm. pretty much. So you're you're experimenting or you're you're using I shouldn't say you're experimenting you're, you're using much more than experimenting the um, the this I suppose a different type of artificial vision where and you were sort of. We were having an interesting conversation about this last week where you're you're using sound to identify and see objects
1: exactly this uh system is called the voice it's um available on the internet for free actually it's a download that can either work on your android phone your apple phone or you can put it on your pc with a pair of video glasses or you can uh, load it onto a pair of augmented reality glasses and what it basically is it's sensory substitution so when there is a picture seen by the camera that you wear then this picture is changed into what's called soundscapes So you, you have an instantaneous Kind of audio code of what's out there, and it's a very complex code, so it shows you a lot of different things at the same time. So if there's a round circle, it makes a noise, but then the bottom goes like that at the same time. So together, you can see how big it is. If I go out at night, for instance, put it on Zoom, and I look at the moon, it will actually show me the moon is round, that there is a that, that little circle around it, and maybe if there's cloud cover leading up to it, light cloud cover, etc and if i really zoom in on it i can actually have a you know sound created just by the crater so it's it's really an interesting concept i use it i'm training with it and uh, I, I'm actually quite happy with it. The difference is that it doesn't make the actual light sensation in your head directly the way the artificial vision did. There I could actually see the dots of light. Here you don't see the dots of light, but people who have used this enough end up with pictures and if I use it for instance looking at things that I didn't know existed and then I take it off and I think about it, next thing you know I have this almost a clear picture of what was actually around me. So as I get uh, closer and closer to uh, getting to the point where it becomes vision, I'm at least, you know, I'm at least able to interact with my society. It has OCR as well, which is nice. When you hold up a label of a can of soup or an electronic device or a newspaper, it'll read it out to you, which is very, very nice, and it uh, it actually makes the sighted population go, "Whoa, this man's back to reading again!" So it's 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 an impressive technology, and it of course doesn't include any surgery,
0: which is always good. Have 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 you spoken to uh, to people who would have been blind from birth, or, or who maybe have never seen properly like you did? Because I I, I suspect the experience must be different in how although you're all using sound to at least get the image, how you're perceiving that image and how you're using the sound to um, interpret the image must be different.
1: Well, when you train with it, uh, Stuart, because we, we do have a number of people who are congenitally blind on this big email list and we email back and forth with CCs so we all hear what we say about it. And uh, even the the congenitally blind, there. The way you practice with it is you have a a visual picture in front of you of what's in front of you. If you touch a banana, you, you, you have a visual picture of what the banana's like, even mm-hmm. if you've been congenitally blind, that it's curved, etc. So... In that respect, you're listening to the soundscape, and when you then hear it now from far away, so something's out in the distance, banana-shaped, you'll immediately imagine it as being banana-shaped as well. So it does does work very well with the congenitally blind, and something I just want to add, the artificial vision I had before where you would stimulate the brain directly, it did not work with Populations who lost their sight as young people or who never were able to see at all, yeah. um, you had to have a developed visual cortex, so sensory substitution is the way to go um, for the for the congenitally blind you You definitely will get a lot out of it now there 's one other type of um, sensory substitution, and that would be um, tactile, so in that case, you would have something on your tongue. the brain port is a typical example i 'd like to try it still. It has its place. I'm not using the brain for it. It, You do have to pay 10000 for it. But, um, for instance, for somebody with hearing impairments at the same time as being blind, that would be ideal as well. And also under different circumstances where you really want to not compromise your your fine-toned hearing while using the voice, you do have a bit of a compromise there because you're sharing your sense. So the BrainPort also is sensory substitution on tactile format, and it is actually uh, from the people I've read on the review. There's a review on the New Yorker magazine this week, and uh, people are, are quite happy with it as well.
0: Yeah, I actually read that uh, that same article, and the BrainPort, of course, is the device where you uh, hold something in your in your mouth, and, and the um, yeah, you're you're stimulated through your through your 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 tongue. Um, so Jens, just in relation to to what people might need to get started, you mentioned that the software is free. It's available free for iPhone and for Android. And then a pair of um a pair of glasses that can interface with the phone, is that right?
1: Yes. If you if you go to the the site Seeing with sound, all one word, seeingwithsound.com, the inventor of this technology, Dr. Peter Mayer, he's um, in Amsterdam. I met him personally this spring. And it was a very nice meeting we had and we spent some time together. It, uh, he, that website has all the information necessary and you can communicate directly with Dr. Meyer. And, uh, he, he'll, he'll make sure that you're set up. But it's, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very simple. It's really just a matter of downloading the software. The software is less than one megabyte. It's 450k, I believe. And, uh, it, it, it works with your PC, etc., you can even just use your webcam to experiment to begin with. And you sit in front of it; you can see yourself and the soundscape it makes with the pair of earphones put in. It's a really uh, interesting device, and if you go to that scenewithsound.com, you you will. So we'll be able to move forward from there on your
0: own. All right. And we'll put that uh, link on the show notes for this podcast episode. Jens, thank you so much. It's one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard. Your journey, your honesty, that kind of roller coaster experience has been great just to talk to you about. So thank you sincerely for sharing that with our listeners today. Um, I do hope we're going to stay in touch because I hope we might see you in Ireland. But for the moment, sincere thanks for coming on our program.
1: You're so welcome, Stuart, and uh, many greetings to my friends in Ireland.
0: What an incredible story. Thank you so much to uh, Jens for taking so much time to talk to us. It's it's uh it's one of those stories that you don't hear very often, isn't it? And uh, there's loads of interesting footage of Jens on YouTube. There's some interesting documentaries all about the artificial vision. If you want to explore that further, uh, well worth sticking his name into your search engine and you'll find lots of uh, good material to watch. Thank you very much, Jens. Now you're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for July 2017. I hope you're enjoying our program. And as always, at NCBI.ie. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, we always love to hear from our listeners, wherever you may be. And there's so many of you spread all over the world. So thank you to everybody who takes the time to get in touch. Now, on last month's edition, Dara O'Haley talked to us about Windows Narrator. There was some great reaction to this feature, by the way, to Dara's thoughts and Dara's, I suppose, um, maybe predictions for the future about how things might go. But I suppose in particular, to Dara's a use of Windows Narrator, and indeed, I was so interested. I asked him, "Would he follow this up with a demonstration?" And Dara did just that. So uh, let's hear
2: from Dara. It's late. It's about half nine in the evening on Monday, and it's been a long day. Uh, I've I've a bit of email to check up on, and I might might listen to some Netflix as well. Maybe a bit of music. Don't know. Depends on my mood. Mood really. So, I have a Surface Pro 4 laptop, or tablet, sorry, in my hand here. Now, I can, I usually do have the keyboard attached to it, but tonight, I don't. I'm primarily going to be uh, consuming content, I'm not going to be creating content. So, I have the tablet in my hand, and my other hand is just swiping around the screen, having a look around, and... I'm doing this with narrator so this is a Windows 10 machine running the very very latest version of Windows 10 and for various reasons I'm not using Jaws or Windows or NVDA I'm using Windows narrator reasons being that the other screen readers the proprietary consumer expensive ish screen readers and then NVDA of course it's free don't do a great job with touch access for example with Jaws you can double tap and it just doesn't do anything. Or you're listening to a block of text and you take your finger off it and it just stops speaking. Very, very frustrating bugs or feature limitations of touchscreen access. Uh, I'll just say it's straight. Uh, it is. And I've, I've reported these to Freedom Scientific and they just haven't been fixed yet. Um, but anyway, this is running Windows 10 and it is light enough. It's a small enough tablet. It's very comfortable to use. What I like about it is, uh, when we're away, myself, my wife, whatever, when we're away, and she wants to watch Netflix and we want to listen listening to together, she can just grab the tablet, I can listen away, and it's just nice and portable and handy. So, let's go and have a look, okay? So, I'm going to turn on the Getting ready. Make sure you're
3: centered and looking directly at the camera.
2: Okay, it's using Windows Hello to see where I am. So, I'm sorry, Hello. I'm pretty daunted Home,
3: 15 4 I don't want
2: that. Okay, so let's swipe in from the right edge.
3: Running programs. Current application.
2: I'm gonna look at the bottom of my screen. Running applications. Here. Task view,
3: virtual desktops, desktop, desktop one, one of desktop two, two of two double tap desktop to activate. Two. Desktop two. Because Come
2: on, I, not a to be. I don't want to be in desktop one. Um I double tapped and then I accidentally triple tapped. I didn't mean to do that. Uh desktop one is stuff that I was doing earlier that I'm going to use for tomorrow uh, but desktop 2 is what I'm going to use now for this demonstration and what I'm going to use as well to just relax and take it easy and catch up on a few emails and all of that kind of good stuff. So let's jump in. Let's go to Outlook. Now I know I've had Outlook open here on the bottom. I've already
3: grand. It's
2: minimize button. And I have a list of messages
3: Table oh, I'm from not, week. I'm from table. From fa- Tony Sweet. From Dominique Farrell. Subject: Island Vip News. Which plane noises should I be worried about? Received 16. From Dominic Farrell. Subject: Island Vip News. New Cross City has to be operational before Christmas Breaking News. i Received Sun 11:49. Oh, okay. Size 62 kilobytes. Flag status unflagged. Selected. Read only. Message read. Column head all. Document three. Island Vip News. New.
2: So, I've just double tapped on that message to open it. I uh, because I'm interested in the laws being available by the end of this year. I'm going to just find the start of that message.
3: Island Minister. New Cross City, you ask to be operational okay, before great. Christmas...
2: Trans- I'll stop talking there. I'm going to swipe down with three fingers.
3: Link, HTTP colon double forward slash www.
2: I've yeah, got has news. the link IE forward slash well. island
3: forward slash New Cross City, you to be operational. Before Christmas, 794,063 HTML New Cross City, you ask to be operational. Before Christmas, Transport Minister Shane Ross says Dublin's New Cross City, you line will be fully operational in time for Christmas. Test runs began on the new line yesterday and will continue today and over the summer months between St. Stephen's Green and Cabra. Minister Ross says any problems okay, be balanced okay. out by That's the enormous great. benefits the line
2: Fine. So I've listened to that message. I'm happy enough with that. I'm going to go find my close button, which I know is on the top right of the screen.
3: Minimize button. Double tap to activate.
2: Okay, swipe right.
3: Restore down button. Double tap. Close button. Double tap to activate. Double tap. Table table view from Dominic Farrell. Subject: Island News. New Cross City will have to be operational before Christmas breaking.
2: stop that speaking.
3: So okay, anything else in here of interest? From Farrell, from Tony Sweeney, subject three island from animals and that. From Flinch, from Michael Lavens, from Ed Harper, from Dominique Farrell, from Lion's Mar from Flinch. From Lion's Marguerite, NTA, subject, Island Vip News, the U.S. Cross City Gage runs Saturday, the seventeenth of June and Sunday, the eighteenth of June from Tony Sweeney. From Flinch, subject from Michael Laver, from Tony Sweeney, subject three, Island Vip News, free travel and transferring to the new public services card. Receipt from Rob yes, subject three, Island Vip News. Free travel from Flinch. Subject three Island Vip News. Um, scroll to zero okay. cannot scroll further up. From Dominique Farrell from Dominique Farrell, subject, Island of News. Which plane noises should I be worried about? Receive uh, Nervous flyers have a tendency to scrutinize... Cannot scroll further up. Oh, sorry. Link, HTTP, colon, double forward slash, www. just read the L-R link again. Co, UK forward slash, travel forward slash, travel truths forward slash, what plane noises and dings really mean forward slash. Wait, MC underscore ID equals TMG underscore share underscore M. Which plane noises should I be worried about? That sounded like a wheel falling off. Nervous flyers have a tendency to scrutinize every little bump, where, and, that they hear on board a plane. Was that a wheel falling off? Did the wing just crack? I could swear I just heard the pilot snoring in the cockpit. But which sounds are routine and which should have you reaching for the in-flight safety so, card? okay. The issue of airbus passengers may also hear a prolonged whine...
2: I've read that one as well. That's fine. Close button. Double tap to activate. Close button. Table table view from Dominique Farrell. Okay, Subject. I wonder, is there anything unread in my inbox?
3: Favorites. Favorites. One of one. Expand. New email button. Double tap to activate. Inbox. One of four. Triple tap to select. No. Sent items. Three of four. Deleted items. Eight hundred. Mail folders. Inbox. Drafts. Triple. Sent items. Deleted archive. Triple tap to. Baby stuff. Line system admins. Clutter. Fourteen unread messages. Blind system admins. One hundred and seven unread messages. Triple tap to select.
2: A lot of messages in there. So from, Chris Nestrad, subject, from,
3: Green, re, from Chris Nestrad, subject from Mitchell Green, subject from Chris Nestrad, subject three. blind sysadmins, replacement for NetStumblr, received 2137, size 64 kilobytes, flag status unflagged, selected, read only, message unread, column header all, norm. page 1, Wi-Fi info view, Wi-Fi scanner for, how about, Wi-Fi info view, Wi-Fi scanner for Windows 10 forward slash 7 forward slash 8 forward slash, Vista, link, HTTP colon double forward slash www, NURSOFT, net forward slash utils forward slash Wi-Fi underscore information underscore view. HTML Wi-Fi info view scans the wireless networks in your area and displays extensive information about them, including network name, SID, MAC address, PHY type, 80211 g or and n RSSI, signal quality, frequency, channel number, maximum, speed, company name, router model and router name, only for routers that provide this information and more. When you select a wireless network in the upper pane of this tool.
2: Okay, so i close that message.
3: Subject, read only, read, Ruben, close button, double tap to activate. Table, table view from Chris Nestrad. And
2: I'll actually minimize Outlook.
3: From, read only, on behalf of, ribbon. minimize button, double tap to activate.
2: And I'm going to go to Edge this time.
3: Running applications. Store button. Mail button. Double tap to activate. Store button. Double tap. File explorer button. Double tap to activate. Microsoft Edge button. Double tap to activate. Microsoft Edge, Microsoft Search or enter web address. Editing. Navigation. La- running applications. Microsoft Edge One. Running window button. Double tap to start. Button. Double tap to activate. I think. I think.
2: Netflix might be an idea. So let's go and try and find some Netflix.
3: Touch keyboard and handwriting panel. Capital W. Capital W. Capital W. Uh, but touch Comma. Full stop. Capital M. Capital N. M. Touch keyboard and hand. Touch keyboard and handwriting. Capital E. No, I really yeah.
2: figured out what website I wanted to go to. And I didn't do anything there, by the way. It just told me what website of things I wanted to go to. So right, go. I want to go to So I'm going to hit the Go button. About. I know that's on the right of the keyboard. Now, I know from experience that there's an awful lot HTTPS of
3: colon double forward slash
2: rubbish w- on the top of the screen. So I'm going to scroll down to the next part of the screen, or to the next maybe 12%, I'd say. And hopefully, then I'll have some stuff that's interesting in that part of the screen. So I'm going to use two fingers. S- not available.
3: Oops. Command not available. Excuse me. Command not available. Am I doing something wrong? Command not available. New releases. Link. Triple tap to activate. Main. Scroll to eight percent. Mm.
2: It was still loading the page. I think my internet connection has been a bit dodgy here today. So button, tap to obviously, when the page is still loading, search, search it's not going to be editing. able to tell you. Oh, I didn't want to go into running programs.
3: Box. Netflix. Sorry, Microsoft Edge. www. www.netflix.com/slash.netflix. Oh, wrong keyboard. <laughs> Netflix. Micro, Netflix Originals. Link. Double tap to activate.
2: Okay, I'm in Netflix Originals. Netflix. Billboards.
3: Link. Double tap to activate. House of Cards. Link. Double tap. All Black. Link. Double tap. dear White People. Link. Double Riverdale. Link. Double tap to activate.
2: Okay. Let's try and pick.
3: New releases. Triple. The Big Bang Theory. Link. to House of Cards. Link. Double tap to activate. Yeah, house of Cards. Status. My list. Group.
2: Okay, status, my list, group. So generally this opens kind of halfway in the screen. It scrolls stuff around. So let's see if I can find the list. description.
3: Status, triple tap to link, double tap to activate. Status, my list, group, triple link, double link, double tap, triple overview, one of five, double overview, link, episodes, two of five, episodes, li- trailers, trailers, and trailers, episodes, episode, overview, 10, overview, overview, tap, triple five. link, double tap, link, double tap, group, triple to my list, status, triple link, double tap, the elec- fifty six. when the newly elected president on a promise, Frank and Claire decide to sever all allegiances and toss the rules out the window. Group, resume, link, double tap to activate.
1: The driver returns with Mr. and Mrs. Warden. It was a hit and run. I'm awfully sorry. Must jumped over the fence again. Look, Steve, i a report on the
2: car.
3: Video, group, triple tap to Text is not editable. Video, group, triple tap to activate.
2: Pause that. I think if I double, triple tap again. Soon afterwards, again.
3: in an... Video, group, triple tap to activate.
2: Okay. Now, of course, as you can hear, the, the volume decreases slightly video, when I'm group, listening. Video group, triple tap
3: to activate. Sunrise so is here. Video group, triple set these tabs aside button, double tap region. Video group, triple tap to activate.
2: And greying temples. The volume In of, of what I'm listening area, to decreases as you would back. Expected.
1: Video but group,
3: triple tap to activate. Section, triple tap to activate. Section, triple tap. Section, video group. Paragraphs, items. So. Video group, triple tap to activate. let
2: and look. Search or enter web address. Editable text.
3: Netflix insert. HTTPS colon double forward slash www. Touch keyboard and caps lock on. A Q W HTTP colon double forward slash W HTTP colon double forward slash WWW w- dot, Netflix dot IE forward slash comma website one of nine selected full stop Google dot IE forward slash select A T WW dot w- T Bing search one of ten selected HTTP copy W E E R. E. R. E. R. e R E F G W dot egg ring search one of five selected bing www.registry.com bing slash three five non h t t p colon h t t p colon double forward slash www.theregister.co.uk forward slash comma the register s c i forward slash okay. tech news for the world four of five non selected double tap to activate.
2: So what I wanted to do is find the register.co.uk, no and I looked. I, I typed in the first few letters as you heard me typing there, uh, using the touch keyboard. Now there is a problem at the moment where it's trying to read the search results or the search suggestions while you're using the touch keyboard which is a little bit frustrating uh, but that's the only time this happens is when, when in edge so there is a feedback form in narrator and i've already left feedback so i'm sure that'll get fixed but it's a, it's a minor inconvenience
3: start button, so button, start button double tap to http colon double four the register sci forward slash fancy buying our, fancy buying our aircraft carriers at nav radian asks you scroll to 20 group don't miss foia documents show the Kafkaesque state of u.s mass surveillance link double tap to activate so don't miss FOIA here. documents show the Kafkaesque state of U.S. mass surveillance. Link. Double tap to activate.
2: Okay, let's see if I can browse through headings.
3: Form fields, items, paragraphs, lines, words, characters, tables, links, headings, landmarks, oh, headings.
2: Headings. Okay, so I'm gonna. I've swiped up there until I found headings, and I'm gonna swipe right.
3: Heading level two. Don't miss fia documents show the Kafkaesque state of U.S. mass surveillance. Heading level two. Don't miss fia documents. Sh- heading level two. Don't miss fia. Doc- heading level four. Pure suggests out intelligence to dumb storage shelves. Heading level four. Too cool for computing. Teens' interest in GCSE course totally bonds. Heading level four. Venture capital is as former EMCEO. Heading level 4, I O gets nimble vision at board level. Heading level 4, US photo info stored on wide open cloud box, thanks to bungling Republican contractor. Heading level 4, you can't take the purse off Facebook, says US Supreme Court. Heading level 3, latest. Heading level 1, fancy buying our aircraft carriers at nav. Raytheon. Heading level 3, hothead Brussels civil servants issued with cool warning, leak. Hothead so, Brussels civil okay. servants issued, cool warhead, hothead, Brussels civil issued with cool warning, leak the register.
2: So this register site is a tech news site, and I'm sorry if the speed of narrator is up too fast. I'm uh, I was so accustomed to listening to it, and I assume that the people listening to this particular segment are screen reader users. I probably shouldn't assume that, but uh, anyway, that's where the way I've said it. So I may as well keep it at that now. So let's go. Sun photo via
3: shutterstock Hot Hot head. Brussels civil servants issued with cool okay, warning. Lead so okay, so triple tap to activate.
2: heading. I know that I need to scroll down to get to the...
3: Scroll to 23%. You are advised Did not go? to drink alcohol and to eat light meals. Three of five okay, at level one. Temperature in Brussels caused by the sun. Hothead Brussels Civil Servants issued with cool warning. Leak the register. Double tap. Link. Login link. Sign up link. Forums list item 1 of 5. m list item 2 of 5. CLL list item 3 of 5. Events list item. I don't want that. Scroll to 24%. Maintain good work. Hothead Brussels Civil Servants issued with cool warning. Leak the register. Double tap to place text insertion point. Heading level for boot notes.
2: Oh, I need to run back down to...
3: Cannot rotate. Landmarks. Headings. Links. Tables. Characters. Words. Lines. Paragraphs. Scroll to 29%. Home. Link. Get the, air moving in your office by, get the air moving in your office by opening doors and windows for as long as possible while it is cool. At the hottest times, keep windows closed and blinds down. You can also switch off the lights. Four or five, double tap to activate <laughs> at level one.
2: Okay, I'm not going to read that article. It seems like it might be a little bit of uh, cynicism.
3: Try not to go out Hot head Brussels civil up during hot and temperature is measured regularly in those that are not. The memo added.
2: Okay, yeah, I'm not going to bother reading all that. Because it seems like it might be a bit of a city story. The register.co.uk are usually known for very reasonably good uh, tech headlines and tech stories. But they're also known for a bit of uh, joking around as well. But you can see there I can access things. I can access tables and headings and paragraphs by swiping up and down. I can double tap. But obviously you are constrained by the usual web accessibility stuff. Uh, and this is always getting better with narrator. As it is at the moment, I can quite happily read around this website, I can read stories as I want to. If I want to go and play some music, for example.
3: Running applications. Hot head brussels civil service file explorer button double tap to activate. Hothead head brussels civil servants issued with cool warning. Frequent folders. Desktop one of eight. Desktop non selected.
2: Okay, so I'm in item one the
3: of twenty eight. Column one Row one.
2: And I'm gonna find podcast that I recorded.
3: Recent. Frequent. Desktop. One of. Free, seal. Five of eight. Seal. Non-selected. Off. Double tap to activate. Seal. Five of eight. Seal. Selected. On. Seal. Five of eight. Seal. Select. Seal. Five of eight. Seal. Non-selected. Off.
2: Come on. Now.
3: Working on it. Text updated. Artists. Items. Broadcast. I Documents. Three of eighteen. It. Documents. Three of eighteen. Documents. Non-selected. of Double tap to activate. Perfectly. Items view, documents, three of eight, eight jingles, four of eight. eight, jingles, four of 18, okay, jingles, non-selected, of double items view, items view, selected, support, take guitar, one of one, non-selected, off double tap to activate. Header, items view, table items view, three, to, three, to four, four, to four, one dot, SFK, seven of twenty, non-selected, of double three to four three dot, wav. six of, close button, double tap to activate. How, how do you, more apps, look it for it an app happens. more app. OK button, disabled. No next form field. check always use this app to open dot, s. no previous form. OK button, no next form field. check always use this app, OK button, disabled, no next form field. items. More. Look for an app in the store. 1 of 1. Non-select. Checked. Always use this app to open dot OK button. Disabled. Item is disabled. Close button. Double tap to activate. Items view. Table items view. 4, four, four c colon backslash users backslash d backslash drop. Th- three three 3243.sfk. 5 of twen- three four three dot 12 non Non-selected. Off double tap to activate. Groove music. Groove music window. Zero 08, 34%, percent percent 10, percent 11, uh, 46%, not, 12, 50%, false, 13, 54%, 14, 59%, 15, selected, selection contains 0, groove music, close groove music button, double tap to activate, maximize groove music button.
2: Up, I'm just looking at the top right hand corner with my finger, so okay, so I've, I've shown you how to navigate, or I've shown you that it's possible, it's not a tutorial, so I've shown you that it's possible that I can navigate around folders, I can choose a music file that I want, um, I'll actually attach, I'll go over here, I'll grab the keyboard and I'll attach it.
3: To Desktop two the the attach surface ATX window.
2: And let's go to the music folder for a second.
3: Run, open, jaws eighteen, editable, edit, alt and Run, open, C colon backslash users. Items
2: I'm right to me to touch screen again, okay?
3: Items view, items view, tape, Alton, 2 of 20, non-selected, of oh, double-tap to activate. Okay,
2: so double-tap with two fingers.
3: Context menu, context menu. that menu. 2 of 20, selected override. on, open, menu, item, double-tap to activate. Open in new window, menu, pin to quick access, menu, open in track tool, menu, add to Windows media playlist, play with Windows media, add to Windows, me- play with Windows media player, menu item, double-tap to activate, tree view, DCU, 6 of 8, corporate, seek, slider at 0.431.
2: So you can hear there. that I could bring up the context menu, and I could very easily—I could very easily change the uh, or bring up the context menu, then change focus to the menu and move around it with my finger, just one finger. Uh, and I can—I can basically do what I need to do. If I need to go into Word and read the document, I can do that. Uh, If I need to navigate around a particularly complex website, I can do that as well at times. I suppose the thing to be aware of here is that Narrator isn't as fully featured as something like, uh, like Jaws. But it's getting there. And that's the point that I tried to make during the previous podcast, and the point that I want to make today as well. Is that, no, Narrator can't do everything. You will be a little bit frustrated with it at times. But that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't give it a shot. And that doesn't mean that it can't do what you need to do so in the evenings when i'm just taking it easy and i want to read through some stuff that i didn't have time to read through during the day or didn't want to read through during the day i can quite happily uh, throw the tablet on the chair beside me read it with one hand and have a coffee with the other hand <laughs> and that's basically what it comes down to i want my two hands i can use i can read it with one hand and hold the coffee in the other one. so thanks for listening I'll hand it back to Stuart thanks very much Stuart
0: Now, I'm always interested and excited to hear about new innovations that promote Braille literacy. It's something that we're passionate about here in NCBI. So when I came across a project, an initiative uh, even called the Read Read, I was anxious to find out more. And Alex Tavares is the man to talk about it. Alex is uh, heavily involved and behind the Read Read project and joins us from Skype, on Skype even. Alex, welcome to uh, our technology podcast. Thanks for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's uh, it's always interesting to find something that encourages Braille reading, but particularly maybe Braille reading for people for whom the traditional methods of learning Braille might be inaccessible. And I, I, I think that's what you were trying to do, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I'm trying to make literacy available to all people. And one of the most important things is Braille literacy, because people who are blind and visually impaired have some of the most staggeringly low literacy rates uh, among all people in the world, which is extremely unfortunate. Um, So I've created this device to be accessible to all people, children and adults, um, but especially so to people who are blind and visually impaired, because I think um, the trends are, are ridiculous and they're human imposed, so I, I figured I could be one of the humans to help reverse the trend.
0: Well, good on you and you're absolutely right it's a it's a huge issue, I think literacy for people and I suppose there's all sorts of uh, follow-on research that show that people who haven't had the experience of literacy in particular with Braille find it much dif- much more difficult to to sort of advance their career. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about first of all, what what does the product do? How does it teach you to read?
4: Sure thing. So um, my backgrounds um, are in cognitive science, um, neuroscience, and I worked as a literacy instructor for the last six years, but I've been volunteering in that capacity for about 15. Um, And I I came to Harvard University to study educational technology. So all of these things have come together to create this device. Um, So the device uses what's called associative learning. So um, typically, People associate that with the hot stove paradigm, where you touch a hot stove, you have a terrible reaction, and you make an immediate association in your mind. Um, kind of the same thing if you kick the leg of a coffee table in the middle of the night, um, your, your big toe will feel it immediately, or your little toe for that matter. And you make the immediate association between a physical object and a concept related to it. So this device, um, it takes advantage of that. So you can imagine a set of about 50 tiles and on each one of these tiles, which are about the size of a playing card, there is a large embossed letter um, that is high contrast for people with low vision and just below it is a braille letter. Um, So that braille letter is going to be molded in a conductive plastic. So when you take one of those tiles and you place it on a conductive grid and you touch the braille you get immediate audio feedback. So it's kind of making Braille come to life, so to speak. It's no longer static in that way. So if you have a tile with the letter B on it, for example, um, and you place it in the slot, when you touch the Braille, the device can say B. Um, The device can tell you the associated dots for the Braille. So it can say B12, for example. Or um, for someone learning phonics, how to read, um, it can make the sound book. And it could do any of those things depending on the mode, the instant that you touch the Braille.
0: Wow. That's so so you're creating uh, a type of interactive Braille, I suppose, Braille for fun, all these things that, that we would, I suppose, um, especially for children.
4: Yeah, exactly. So up to this point, um, Braille instruction has relied on a professional instructor sitting beside the person learning. So for adults who lose their vision later in life, that means either going to a center where Braille is taught, which can be very difficult, or having someone come into the home uh, regularly. And for children, it means having a teacher of the visually impaired, T V I, TVI, um, or sometimes even a parent who puts it upon themselves to learn Braille, um, sitting beside the child and, and guiding them. So what this has caused is a lack of incidental learning for children. So unlike sighted children who see print all around them and are able to interact with it in their environments, the only interactions that um, young children and adults who lose their uh, vision later in life have with Braille is induced at the early stages um, with the presence of an expert. So I'm looking to create this interactive, independent learning for anyone looking to learn Braille. And that's what the device accomplishes.
0: It also strikes me, Alex, that you mentioned the large embossed print letters. I've been totally blind since birth, and I learned Braille at a very young age, and and I use it every day, but I don't have any concept of print letters. And it strikes me that I personally would find a use for this device to allow me to learn the printed letters as someone who knows Braille already.
4: Uh, A number of people who are just like you have mentioned that, and um, some people I've spoken with I did another podcast, and the host was telling me he always tells um, um, uh, blind and visually impaired adults who don't know print to learn it. Because for him, he's had experiences when he's traveling abroad, and sometimes you'll find um, signs that are embossed, but there's no Braille to speak of, uh, especially on some older buildings where it's not regulated So he says it's come in handy in a number of ways um, and he really argues for it and and it can be practical in other ways as well.
0: Yeah, I can imagine uh, where a device like this, having it in your home and being able to learn at your own pace could be ideal. Now, you've been, I suppose, you've been developing this, you've been testing it with the Perkins School for the Blind. What are people saying about it?
4: Yeah, so we did um, a three-month pilot at the Perkins School for the Blind and uh, the teacher in one of the piloting classrooms said that this is a device that can change the course of history for kids who are blind Um, the assistive technology specialist again said that this is something that's going to be totally game changing uh, for people who are blind and visually impaired the whole community Um, two things really need to come together in order to increase uh, braille literacy and for people who don't follow this line of thinking, if you talk to any of the experts, um, you know, this is, this is the need is to increase braille literacy. Just imagine that without braille, uh, for someone who is blind um, and, and growing up from a young age, that person is illiterate. And we're seeing that more and more often all over the world. Um, around the world, it's, it's been pressing um, pretty much all throughout. But in the U.S., we've had a huge decline in braille literacy since uh, the 1960s. So what this device is seeking to do is to make the Braille learning independent. That's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of is uh, making the actual resources more accessible and affordable. So the other thing that's happening simultaneously is there are refreshable braille displays that are being reduced, uh, excuse me, being produced now that will be available shortly. That are in the sub $500 range or about that price, whereas before they were in the $2,500 to $8,500 range. Um, So these two things coming together, independent Braille learning, as well as affordable, refreshable displays um, will be the key to literacy for the blind.
0: Yeah we're, and we're at a very exciting time. We've talked about it on this podcast in the last little while. We're at a very exciting time in terms of all this uh, braille technology. That's, we're just on the cusp of something I think really good. Um, so Alex, how I suppose at this moment in time, how can people, or can people, either get or help you to make the read read available so that they can get it in the future?
4: Yes, so we're running a Kickstarter campaign right now to make this um, available to 400 blind and visually impaired kids um, by Christmas time. So we'll be shipping units in November. Um, right now, we're um, supporting the Kickstarter through um, the easiest way to find it is just to go on Google, <laughs> our friend, and you can Google Kickstarter the Read Read. So four words all together and you'll find the page there. There's an accessible video and um, accessible text. The Kickstarter platform is quite accessible. And if you have a child um, who you'd like this device for, you can go ahead and pre-order the device for the child. Um, But what we're really hoping that the community will do is support the campaign by just making small pledges, whatever they can afford, Um, seeing this as a real game changer in the community of people who are visually impaired and blind.
0: All right. And in terms of the, the the target audience, you mentioned children, and you're hoping to have uh, production models available by the end of the year. If people outside of the United States want to order for children, is that okay? Or, I mean, are you going kind of worldwide at this stage?
4: Um, Yeah, so we're being careful about the countries that we ship to just because there are some variations in Braille around the world. Not too many, um, especially with UEB. Everything's been Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat streamlined internationally. Um, But so far, we're shipping to Australia. I assume after this podcast airs uh, or anticipating the airing of this podcast, I'll have uh, put a link for people in Ireland to purchase as well. Um, The difficulty we have is we're not approved for... Um, free matter for the blind. So we need to follow shipping regulations generally. And I'll need to uh, look into the pricing of that so that I can price it appropriately on the Kickstarter page.
0: Okay, well, hopefully, as you say, when people start hearing this, they will be going on. And and I, 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 as I say, I'm I'm personally quite interested in the whole idea of learning print letters, kind of doing the reverse of what you thought of, I think, but it's uh, another way uh, to do this. Um, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us great to see another initiative that's supporting braille and uh, may i wish you all the very best and look forward to hearing more about the read read product
4: an absolute pleasure talking
0: with you thank you very much alex it's great to see a uh, new braille technology uh coming to the fore and especially something that increases braille literacy so if you are interested please make sure to google the read read and donate to that very deserving cause now that's just about it for this one thanks to our contributors darrow Haley. Uh, Alex Novardis and of course Jens Norman. join us in August when amongst other things I'll be walking out and about with Amy Hines Fitzpatrick and the Orcan. I'll tell you about that next month until then from Stuart Lawler take care and goodbye